Well, I want to share with you that um, my dad has a watch, and I never wanted it. (laughs) But I did want something else he had, something that my dad was frequently giving away. See, some of my earliest childhood memories are sitting in a church on hard church pews when my father would, would give a message as he would be preaching. And uh, I remember those days because uh, as, as a little kid, I had a brother who's two years older. His name is Keith. And it was interesting because we would sit together and we would be there for maybe the opening prayer. And if through the hymn we were doing lucky and if we got to the scripture reading, that was good. But eventually we would start giggling or fighting or who knows what was going on. But we would be sitting there. And my mother had this incredibly clever way of disguising what I call this painful pinch of getting your attention. She would sit with her arms crossed and she would just lean over and she'd get a hold of us. And I remember it clearly. And I would feel that pain, attention getting grip. And I'd look up like, what are you doing? And she'd be looking at me like, you better just stop it right now. And that would get her attention. And, and, and by the next song, we were probably sitting on either side of her. And as I would be there and doing the different things that I'd be doing, my father would speak and he would often share stories. And, and he would grip me once in a while with an illustration or a story. And often at the end of a message, he would capture my attention with a story. And he would close with one, and, and he would have me there right with him and, and others as well. And he would then at that point ask people just to bow their head. And as they would bow their heads, he would say, in the quiet of this moment, I would just like you just to reflect and begin to think about your life and, and begin to think about the fact that this God loves you. And he knows your heart and he sees you and he, it doesn't matter what you've done or, or, or where you are at or how far you feel from him. And, and he, would, he, would, he would draw you to this point and he would then say, um, he wants to be with you. He wants to live within you. And at that point, I, I wanted that. I'd be on the edge of, my, of the pew. And every time my father would make this gracious office, offer, I wanted that. And then at that point, my father would then add, right at this point when I'm sitting there wanting it, he'd say, if you want this, come forward and receive the gift of God's saving presence. And I would jump out of my seat and be heading down the aisle. I was probably one of his most regular converts. I do this so often that my dad at points would say to my mother, um, Carol, I'm going to be giving an invitation, I think, today. And so when I start to get, hold Kevin. <laughs> and he would give it, and I would be moved, and Mom would grab me. But I still wanted it. But what I began to realize over the years is that little bit of want that I had in that moment in that story when it touched my heart was far so small compared to what was in God's heart and his desire for me and how much he wanted me. How much he wanted to be present with me and not only be present with me, he wanted me to know that and he wanted me to live in the abundance of that. Literally, I began to realize over the years That although I may have loved him, he loved me first. And although I maybe wanted him when I heard this invitation, he 
He wanted me first far more than I ever knew it. And that's really what Christmas is about. Christmas is, is, is this little truth. Nothing could keep God away from you. Not a human body and all its limitations, not the humility or the vulnerability of becoming, just think about it, a helpless little infant. This king, this God coming in flesh. Not a crowded in, not a crowd of people who were just too busy to notice and too into their own stuff to to even realize that he had shown up. Not our sin, not our selfishness. God wants to be with us. In fact, Isaiah 7 tells the story about this man named King Ahaz. And Isaiah is this portion of of Scripture at chapter 7 where it begins to talk about the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, this God. And it's out of the context of a history where this king was surrounded by the enemy. And as he was surrounded by the enemy... It says in Scripture, he was so afraid that he was shaking, and, and it's just like, like trees blown in the wind. He was so fearful. And in the midst of that fear, God spoke to Isaiah, and Isaiah went to King Ahaz, and, and Isaiah said, God is with you. God will be with you if you put your trust in Him and you just believe He will come through for you. In fact, he wants you to know this so much that he's, he, he has offered to give you a sign. In the darkest night that you're in right now, in this place of total fear, King Ahaz, God has come and he says, ask me anything. Can you imagine that? God coming to you and saying, anything, you just ask me anything, I'll give you this sign. King Ahaz, even in the midst of his fear and all the... Um, the concern that he had about this enemy at his doorstep, feigned humility, said, oh, no, 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 Isaiah, thank, but but tell God, tell God um, that I don't want to put him to the test. I I don't want to do that. And and he acted as if he was really humble, but really what was going on in his heart is he he didn't want God. He didn't want to trust. He was afraid to wait. He didn't want to go through that process. In fact, he really wanted a visible ally that he knew that was south of him, a, a people down in Egypt and in the, in the ruler down there that he was going to make an alliance with so that he would come against these forces. And he just felt like, I'll do it my way. But God, still knowing that it wasn't just King Ahaz who was shaking and knowing that it wouldn't be just King Ahaz throughout history who would come into these situations like you may be in today, whether it's a fear of a job that you're looking for or it's a fear of the loss of someone you love or in some way the earth is shaking underneath you, you're going through that tough time or whatever that is. God said to these people there and to people from that time all the way throughout the end of history, I'm going to give you a sign. So that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you such an incredible sign that the world will be captured with It's attention when it happens. Therefore, the Lord himself, verse 14 of chapter 7, will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. His name will be God with us. His name will be what I, what I wanted you, King Ahaz, to know. And what I want any person who's willing to wait and trust and, and put their confidence in me. 
This child's name is going to be God's here. He's going to point to the fact that God himself invades history, invades our history in this life so that we can know that he's with us. And so Christmas is this truth where God comes. And Isaiah 9 goes on and says there will be no more gloom for when this day occurs, there will be no, those who are in distress will no longer be in distress. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is the reality of this truth, that whether you can see it or you can feel it or you even sense his nearness, he is. But it calls you to do something with your will. It calls you to put trust and confidence in what you may not see or what you may not feel or what you may not be experiencing. Last Saturday, my daughter, my awesome daughter, Kelsey, she wanted me to say that. Um, so She asked me to go with her to the Parkway Theater in South Minneapolis. Uh, they're trying to change things at this theater, and it's kind of placed to a unique clientele. It's kind of like a boutique of theaters, I guess, in some ways. And we went to watch the 1949 Academy Award-winning film called The Battleground, starring Van Johnson. Anybody remember that? See it? Recall it? There were probably about 150 people in this theater, mostly vets and their family, grandparents and, and, and moms and dads and grandkids' kids, and Kelsey and me. And we watched this film. The owner got up before the film began and he introduced the film and he shared his hopes for the afternoon. The film had actually been sent by MGM specially for that showing. This was no DVD or, or, or digital reproduction. It was the real, real. The original. He was real proud of that and talking about it. And, um, as we're sitting here watching it, my daughter was able to experience something that I experienced watching movies when I was younger. And that is a reel-to-reel film. So that was three to four times during the film, the thing would run out and you would hear the other one start up. Remember that? She looks at me the first time like, what's going on with the film? And so we're watching this. The Battleground, this movie, was about the Battle of the Bulge. Specifically, it was the story of the 101st Airborne Division and their heroic stand in Belgium at this city called Bastogne. And what was really cool about the whole experience was that after the film, this guy invited six World War II vets up to the front, and they sat there and, you know, with their hearing aids and canes, and they were up in the front. And, I mean, these heroes were sitting up in front. Two of them had actually been in the Battle of the Bulge. One of them was from the 101st Airborne Division and was in Bastogne. And we had the opportunity to ask questions. Someone asked him um, at, at one point, um, was, this, was it actually what occurred in the film? Was there a lot of similarity? And he goes, yeah, it was really accurate, except for one point in the film as they were going from, the, uh, from the, the beaches all the way up to this city. They were being called up. They would stay in houses. He said, we never stayed in any houses with any really good French-looking women like that film. The only other discrepancy he said was in the film was they showed in this cold. It was the cold of winter and, and you never saw their, their, their breath. You see, the battle took place on December 19th. And that was the day we were watching this film. And it took place December 19th, 65 years ago in 1944. And it was the coldest winter on record in Belgium. 
And the 101st Airborne were called to the front to hold Bastogne from, the, from, from some of Germany's best troops who were bulging into a line of defense in the hopes of, of breaking through and, and dividing the army. And as the battle continued, soldiers learned that the Nazis had pushed so far forward that they actually surrounded that city. So they were cut off from supplies. And beyond that, not only were they cut off from supplies on the ground, there was such a dense fog for a number of weeks that they were not able to get any air supply as well. So at that point, as the battle was, it was coming kind of to a close, at least in that sector, they had run out of food, fuel, and they only had a few rounds of ammunition. They were told not to shoot anybody unless they were right close. They were completely cut off. They were hemmed in by the enemy. They felt totally abandoned. And at one point when the morale was at its lowest, the Nazi common, uh, commander came to the front line waving a truce flag. And he wanted to speak to the American commander, General McAuliffe. And he, and he came and he, with the translator, had the translator share with him that, that he was offering this American group of soldiers the opportunity to surrender. Literally, he said, you have two hours to consider before we rain destruction upon you. Will you surrender? And General McAuliffe, um, when he heard the translation, he erupted with one word. Nuts. The translator was confused, didn't know what nuts meant, and said, um, is that a negative or an affirmative reply? You don't want to mess up those kind of translations. McAuliffe looks at him and goes, nuts is strictly negative. After the film, someone had asked him, did you guys who were holding your positions, were you aware of this? Did you hear about it? And he goes, oh, yeah. He said, the story ran quickly through the troops, and we all felt the surge of courage. But then they had two hours, and as they waited, and the enemy was drawing closer, you could see them just moving in the open fields, just coming towards them. And with the final battle about to begin, they could see these swarm of German soldiers, armored cars, panzer tanks, all moving into position for the slaughter. When for the first time in weeks, the sun broke through and they saw patches of blue sky and they saw this light coming down. They were looking up as they show it in the film and they heard planes and they they didn't know whether they were enemy planes or not at this point. But as they continued to look, these planes came overhead and they were U.S. planes. And from these planes, they dropped. They dropped all this um, fuel and food and ammo and most of all, they drop this truth deep into their hearts. We're not abandoned. The whole allied forces are behind us. And the fact was, they were never alone. They were never alone. The truth of Christmas is Emmanuel. It's, it's, it's this word, Emmanuel, means God with us. It means God's here. It means God is with you. It means that even though you may have been waiting four months or four years or 40 years, like Pastor Paul, God is faithful. God is here. God came, showed up, gave us a sign that said no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through, the sorrow that you're in right now, God said, I, through this son named Jesus, Emmanuel, 
have entered into your suffering so that I could take that suffering and walk with you and be with you and actually remove it from you. So that as you think about it, and you may even say, I'm in a fog, I'm unable to see, I don't feel, I can't sense God's presence. It may be the coldest, darkest night you have known. The enemy of doubt and despair may be surrounding you and actually coming to you and appealing to you to doubt and to despair and give up. And God says, as he did today, as I give you a sign. I'm calling on you to trust. That's what Christmas is about. It's about a baby named Emmanuel, meaning God is here. If you trust it.